Welcome to the Property Unlocked podcast. I'm Scarlett Douglas. And I'm Stuart Douglas. Whether you're a first-time buyer, fixing up your home, or just curious about the property scene, we've got your back. In this week's episode, we're starting right at the very beginning, and that's getting on the property ladder. So I think my first property was thanks to you, Stuart. And it was when I was 24, New Barnet, Lytton Road. I can't remember what number it was. 10B Lytton Road. It was a one-bedroom ground floor flat that was converted Victorian property house. And we converted it into a two-bedroom. We did it because it was an investment. It wasn't really my first place. I wasn't actually going to be living there for quite a while, but I was there for maybe a year, I reckon. That long? Well, it was at least eight months. I remember that much. Yeah, it was a good buy. It was a great buy. Yeah. But I remember, even though I had it, mum was always like, are you coming home? I'm like, no, 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 this is my home now, mum. Yeah, but are you coming back? No, because I don't live with you <laughs> and dad anymore. I actually live in my house now, which mm. is quite funny. Yeah, my first house was in St Albans. Yes. I had no idea. I remember saving enough money for a deposit. How old were you? I was 21. Wow. 21. Cool. And I managed to save enough money for a deposit. And I remember that one of the directors where I worked, he was a big property guy. And he said, buy in Paddington. And I was like, I was working in Luton. And I'm like, why, <laughs> why Paddington? And he was like, you won't lose money in Paddington. You may well lose money if you buy in Luton at that time. Mm -hmm. So looked at Paddington, couldn't find anywhere, everything at my price range. Looked at Harpenden, because that was quite near Luton, and looked at St Albans, quite near Luton. And I loved both of those places. Mm found an unbelievable like converted hat factory yes, remember yes i remember the um, news right in the middle of the town one end of the road was the train station the other end of the road was the town center it yep. was perfect and it was a gated development gated wasn't it? development hidden private muse and i bought that for 175,000 pounds at the time i was panicking because <laughs> i was like i've got to drop all this money that i've saved mm. into a mortgage i'd never bought a house before and I just thought, I'm going to owe so much money. Can you remember how much the deposit was, what the percentage was? I remember that I put down the £20,000. Okay. So whatever that maths is. Yeah. But my mortgage was 150000 That was the mortgage. Yeah. But it was great. I didn't really do that much to it. And it was the point where I sold that house four or five years later for £315,000, which is a lot. That's a big profit. And at that point... I didn't buy it to make money. I bought it because I liked where it was. I wanted to live there. For me, that was the watershed moment where I thought you can make good money in property because I actually made that without even trying. And then that was my catalyst to get into property, really. So you sold that for 315 grand. Yep. How much do you reckon that would be worth today? I think that would probably be worth... Because you're old now. You're old. Uh, yep. This was quite a while ago. Yep, yep. <laughs> I am very old. I've got some grey hairs. Um... I've got more than you. <laughs> I'd say anything between 600 and 750. Ah, I reckon that's at least a meal, you know. Like, it wouldn't, because only two bedroom. Yeah, but it was a gated development, private muse, three floors, two bathrooms. So are you trying to make me feel bad? Sorry, we'll move on. Okay, on that note, <laughs> on that note, I want to introduce our guest of the week, a friend, a father, a TV presenter, any other names we can give you Mr. Jeff Brazier. Yeah, there's always a few more that you can <laughs> chuck on there, but we'll we'll leave it at that. Yeah, okay. You'll get it. 
So obviously this episode is all about first time buyers and the first property we've ever bought. So I'd love to come to you and find out how old you were and what the property was. Can you remember? Yeah, I can. I can really remember. By the way, I'd spent sort of most of my younger years just renting rooms. And actually before that, when I lived in Romford with a friend, I was actually living on like some sort of camp bed in her living room <laughs> oh. next to her chameleon. Or <laughs> some sort of, what are those dragon things? Uh, that, some no. lizard thing. Yeah, it was a lizard. I wouldn't want to live next to one of those. So no, that well, I wasn't up for it at all. But I'm <laughs> actually, I was very grateful for that. So anyway, I wasn't home by any stretch but I moved around a hell of a lot and I think that that set a bit of a tone to be honest so the first house that I bought was actually with Jade so we're talking about when I was 22 so 20 years ago now yeah. I think she was pregnant right. so we'd rented a flat together bearing in mind we'd not known each other long to be honest it was like a bit of a, a whirlwind and wow what a situation but how long do you reckon you'd known each other for uh, I'd be you know probably about eight months really and so we're buying together now bad advice or just you know you can imagine we were kids yeah. we were literally kids who uh, had these adult situations on our hands and mm. we're trying to obviously make our way through but yeah the advice we took and I remember the guy I remember him sort of clearly just stating I don't know whether we just wasn't listening to the advice or whether he was just guiding us down the wrong path but basically I remember getting an interest only mortgage which I know we re regretted instantly at the time uh, it's interesting because the house in Harlow which is what we'd moved into and where Bobby was born and actually Freddie was also around while we still lived there. It was a townhouse, three bedroom. And as I say, it's sort of still there now. It, the boys still own it in trust. Right. Mm. Um, so it's a bit of a legacy with that property as well. So it's an interesting one. I can't remember what it was bought for. I know that it obviously now, 20 years on, is sort of a good 200 grand more, I would expect. And it's nice because that's what Jade has left for the boys yep. and it will be sold at a point where they're responsible enough to get a mortgage and to do it on their own. And I guess it will be divided into whatever properties that they're going to buy and whenever they're going to do it. And actually, we'll take some advice from you to <laughs> when, when the right time would be to do that. This conversation will probably show you both that I'm not the one that, that will be advising them on these matters. Yeah. So you haven't learned anything in your 20 years? I think I must have done. I must have learned something along the way because I think in the property that I'm in and selling now, mm -hmm. um, that that's the best I've done. But then I, I guess the houses that you buy for more, there's always bigger margins anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so it's funny because fast forward into where I am now, what I stand to make on this one almost kind of eliminates any blame or bad feeling that I've got around the poor decisions that yeah. I've made in the past. It doesn't just get me back on par. I think it sort of goes beyond that. So, so are you saying that in previous property transactions, you've lost money? Again, I've never really dwelled on it, Stu. I've probably haven't done that bad. But do you know whether this is like, I'm not a perfectionist by any stretch, but I don't know whether you're the same. But it's always a case of what I could have done, what mm. I should have done. So after obviously buying that house with Jade and we split, you know, we obviously had to divide equity and whatever. I then went to a place called the Rail Store in Gideon Park. And I've got to tell you a little bit about this yeah, because right. let's imagine I'm 25. I'm obviously single, but I'm a dad. This place was literally Butlins <laughs> in Romford. Really? Yeah, uh, it was strong. It was, right. So, so it, some good times there. Well, it was an old rail storage depot. So it's it's got character. If you imagine the, the front of the property, which is sort of, you know, you have to get to by coming inside of the rail store, 
it's like there's a big, huge arch, and the top of the arch is your bedroom upstairs because it's a duplex. Mm -hmm. Downstairs, big loads of glass, so it's really light, and you've got three wonderful ponds that have got pebbles in the bottom of them. I actually did that in my current property in the garden right. and sort oh. of replicated that because I just remember that trickle, you know, the, the sound yeah. of the water where you've got your front door open, and that's that lovely noise that you yeah. can hear. It was really quite nice. But, yeah, everyone that lived in the development was always in and out of number 13. <laughs> um, wasn't unlucky for me. Uh, but listen, it was, you know, good times. Lots of good friends in there, really good people. So you can imagine what it was like after the nightclubs and everyone yeah. spilling. And it, it was just a lot of fun. I bought two of them, to be honest. I, oh, bought, wow. I bought the one that I lived in for 250 and I bought one upstairs for maybe 160 something like that, which was a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. Some friends rented it in that. But that was probably mistake number one because I didn't go through a management company because of the fact that they were friends. Yeah. And I remember that sort of ended in us disagreeing as to what was owed. And mm -hmm. um, generally it's a... I learned at that point, it's a no-no. When I moved out of the rail store, I did get a management company, but actually I didn't find that particularly easy. So my experience of renting and managing a property, I really didn't enjoy of anything as much as yes, there's money to be made. I think you've got to be that sort of person because I personally was just someone, especially with boys and how that was, it was all about restricting or limiting responsibilities that I had. So the whole Jeff, the washing machines broke or this, that, that wasn't really working for me. I didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. So that put me off being a landlord. Yeah. Mm. You always say, don't you, Stuart, that you would rather buy and flip as opposed to buy and keep because you don't want to be a landlord. You don't want to have to deal with management issues. No. And even when you assign an estate agency to look after your property on under full management terms, they still have to call you mm -hmm. to get your permission to do things. So you're still vested in it. So no, I don't particularly like to rent. I don't like to keep portfolios. I'd rather buy, sell, buy, sell. And also at the time when you were renting, there were more benefits for landlords, mm -hmm. where now that's changed as well. So I think you'll find a lot more landlords trying to offload their properties and trying to like minimize their portfolio because it isn't probably worth the hassle anymore. Can I give you an example of why I didn't enjoy being a landlord? Well? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so not just washing machines breaking, that's fairly standard stuff, but mm. what about when you go into the, the property for just like an annual inspection or whatever and you realise that the guy you put in there who fronted up as a real professional, you know, the sort of guy who's going to pay the rent on time and stuff, well, he's got a Sharpay dog who has literally chewed up all oh, of the skirting boards. No. Not only that, I had a really cute dining room off the kitchen and it's all exposed brick in there. Again, I'm still in love with the property. <laughs> so don't know it anymore. It's just too late. It's gone. Anyway, he put a pole in there in a bar, basically. What? Pole? Like, what are you putting a pole in? Oh, I get it. I know God. what you do. I know why you're putting a pole in there because girls are coming back after time and envy and you're getting them to spin yeah. round it for you. Either that or he did a bit of it himself. Either way, I was not impressed because I did not approve. Yeah. Or is it because you didn't think of it when you were living yeah. there? <laughs> That's not me. I come round so you can pole dance with, nah. nah do you know, wow. I've, I've, I've heard of people damaging property. I've heard of... I suppose sofas being ripped. It's a new one. I've it? never heard never. of a tenant putting a pole <laughs> in your house. Never. Um, Credit to him. He's a real playboy. Obviously looked at him on his socials and, and whatever else. And by the way, I don't think it existed. That wasn't a thing when, mm. when he went into the property, like just checking people out on social to see what kind of lifestyle they live. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I certainly saw that that was not completely out of character. Wow. Did you get him out? How easy was it to get him out? Not easy. Yeah, really not easy. And again, I lost. 
I lost on the rent. So I don't think, to answer your question earlier, I don't think I've ever lost in terms of equity, but I do, that whole rental experience, that's probably what put me off of it is I just felt like, oh, here we go again. I'm losing more money, more rent. I don't want to do this again. Yeah. Have you rented? I have rented. Yeah. It's an interesting situation. My next property after the rail store was in Harlow. I went back to Newhall, new build development, something that's always attracted me to new builds. I feel like it's just straightforward and easy. Like everything works and everything's sort of where you want it to be. And I remember buying six canopy lane. So that was forest facing. It was really lovely. The boys are maybe six and seven. And it's really important property, actually, because that's where we lived when the boys lost their mum. And obviously that was a big sort of transition for us. And I just remember feeling like, you know, this is an important home and this is where we really need to, I guess, find our feet and work out what this new new normal is going to be like for us with the three of us living together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're with me full time at that point. But yes, I ended up renting a place in Matching Green, which is where I live currently. And the reason I did that was because it had a big garden. I think I can be impulsive at times. And that is a theme that runs throughout my life and a lot of the decisions that I've made. I felt like, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rent Canopy Lane out to one of our friends. Yeah. They're going to go in there. And I know that what they're going to give me for that is going to cover me renting that property out in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. which has got a big garden. I know I can put a slide in there and swings and it's going to be far more appropriate. And I don't know why I didn't just sell, buy somewhere like that. But for whatever reason, I just went for it. And yeah. I probably stayed there for about 18 months. Okay. Again, I don't think I lost any money through doing that. It sounds like a bit of a faff, doesn't it? Mm. And I think I upset my friend as well when it comes to saying, right, I've had enough of living out there. I'm coming back because I need to, going to sell this now. Yeah. So I need to come in and get it saleable. That I think they felt that that was going to be the arrangement for more of a long-term period. So, so again, it's that lesson of dealing with friends when well, it comes to property. I was thinking, did you not learn from the last time when you rented out to friends, then you did it again? I'd forgot. Ah, there we go. <laughs> Clearly forgot. There might have been five minutes in between. Two I still would have forgot. <laughs> Um, so no, went for that. And as I say, so that whole period of renting, I think what I was looking for is to see how will it be for us living in the middle of nowhere. And actually, I also know that instinctively, when I found myself in that situation, I wanted to take the boys to somewhere that felt safe and secure, yeah. mm. emotionally, mentally, as well as I guess that's where, you know, it's an interesting conversation around property, because I think it becomes a big part of how you steady yourself yep. and steady the situation so i think i just felt like and it's you know probably no coincidence that that's the reason why i've gravitated towards going back out into that mm. village mm. just because it feels safe so did that work for you then do you think that it gave you and the boys the emotional stability that you needed at that time i don't think i wouldn't have had it by staying where i was right. if truth be told but mm. sometimes we can look for something and it be for good reason, not necessarily find it. Yeah. It's the same reason why when she died, flew straight out to Australia. And that was, again, that was just pure reflex because right. I didn't know anyone out there. I'd worked out there and I went straight back to a place where they'd put me up called Outrigger. I can't remember, near Melbourne or something, but that's when I worked on, I'm a celeb, get me out of here. That's mm -hmm. where I was staying. And I just remember the reflex was, let's get as far away from all of this yeah. as possible. So I stayed out there for a, a month or so. And maybe with that move into the countryside, I think there was probably an element of that as well. Yeah, so when you moved back to the house, how did the boys find it? You've taken them out, you've gone to the countryside, then you've now told your other friend, get out of my house, I need to get that ready to be sold. You sell that, buy somewhere. How were the boys with the changes? 
Well, I was always thinking of what's best for the kids, but I guess I'd already justified that with the move. Right. As opposed to now I, I look back with my 42-year-old head on and just think stability, consistency. It's what any child would benefit from and thrive on. But obviously, you know, we can't live in the same place literally our whole kids' lives. And it's funny because my wife actually has always lived in the same place with her parents and recently last year they moved for the first time in her lifetime mm -hmm. and it was actually a really big ordeal yeah there was grief involved I'm, yeah. I'm sure it was a real sort of attachment thing did i move too much i'm not sure i think we do our best given the information we've got and given you know what's available to us and how we're doing financially you know all these things i guess drive what we do and where we do it yeah. but there was still some crazy moves to come go on oh i'm looking forward to these ones then <laughs> go for it so I then met my now wife and I met her when I was renting. We were together when I went back to Canopy Lane to get it to sell. And I don't think I necessarily had this intention to begin with, but we had a really great first 12 months as most people do when they first get together. <laughs> but I thought to myself, do you know what? She's from Brighton. I really like Brighton. What a lovely rest of childhood that would be for Bob and Fred. Yeah. Because we'd obviously been there a few times visiting her parents and we loved our walk along the beach and we spent a few Christmases with them and it was really lovely. And I just thought, you know what? We're going to go for it. I'd, I'd obviously consulted with the boys. I always, you know, always ask them, you know, how do you feel about moving to the seaside? Yeah, they were up for it. So I remember us initially renting somewhere really nice, just overlooking Hove Park. And then, and then we bought somewhere in Sackville Road, which leads right down to the beach. Guess how long it lasted? Hmm. Somebody who's impulsive, he's a serial mover, <laughs> I would say eight months. I was going to go with six. No, so it was a year, so I'm not as okay. bad as you. Okay. I've really oversold myself <laughs> as an impulsive person. And actually, it was out of my hands as well. So the area completely worked. Mm -hmm. um, unbelievable to live there, diverse place where anything goes and there's so many wonderful people i just felt like it was a really great place for kids to live and grow up the problem was bobby wasn't happy at school in fact like to be honest he was getting um, the wrong sort of attention from groups of lads and he hadn't quite developed the ability to deal with it so that persisted he hadn't really broke it down to me and certainly the school hadn't been in touch with regards to the realities of maybe what it was like for him day to day but towards the back end of the year he did sort of break down and everything came out and he was I'm trying to think what age he was probably 13 or 14 these are really important years in terms mm -hmm. of his exams and gearing up for mocks and whatever else and i had an option the option in front of me was we either move him to another school which kind of felt like a gamble still because who's to say that, you know, it, it might not sort of happen at the next place. I'm also thinking, you know, in some respects, I don't want to be teaching him that the way to deal with an issue is to run away from it. But then also the other option, which felt like the common sense one was for me to move him back to where we were previously. He was very happy and very light and just very settled in the school that he was in beforehand. And that's what I chose in the end. And I chose that because I think the house was on the market anyway. We was already contemplating moving. I think we was going to go somewhere else in Brighton. I can't really remember why. But anyway, so it, it kind of just a culmination of the house selling and it just feeling like, again, the safe thing to do here. And I always gravitate, I think, towards what feels safe is to take us back to Harlow. So we moved back to Newhall.
think it's so interesting when it comes to reasons as to why you buy a house or why you move. I don't have children, so I don't have a tie like that. I guess for me, I'm close to my mum and dad where I've just bought my house now. I'm like a minute walk away, so I can check on them. I get mum's food. She's doing my washing today. It's fantastic. But there are so many reasons outside of, oh, I like this area as to why people move and why they want specific types of properties. And I didn't even think of, well, my son's not happy at school, so I need to move and take him out of that situation put him back somewhere where he's comfortable, where I know he can thrive. And that's really important. Ideally, really what I should have done is rented in Brighton because it was a, a really new adventure. There was no guarantees that it was going to go one way or another. So I guess the sensible thing would have been with hindsight to just rent it for a period of time. Uh, again, I don't feel like we lost money. Uh, I don't think we, we made much, but certainly not a loss because of that anyway. And you know, when you're talking about your children's education and their well-being, I guess there is no sort of price. That's when it becomes irrelevant because those things obviously come first. Yeah, I, I think that the buy versus rent conundrum, I'm firmly in the buy camp if you can afford to do that. And not everyone can. And throughout this podcast, you, you'll realize that it's very difficult for people to get on the ladder at the moment. Extremely hard. But had you rented... The 12 months that you were there, you'd be paying somebody else's mortgage. So you've had a property that you've owned, you've paid your own mortgage and you've sold it and you've broken even. So you've done better than what you would have had you rented. So in hindsight, you've moved there, you took a chance, you've moved for the sake of your children, but you've not lost financially. And I think that that's very important that if you buy well, and it's all about what you buy. People always say, oh, is it about the money, that how much you spend? Yes, of course, it's the amount that you spend. But if you buy well, you buy in the right area, you buy the correct house, you'll always sell it. And you'll always sell it for at least what you've paid. Mm. Um, so I think that you've been actually quite shrewd with your moves and, and what you've bought. You can't call it shrewd if it's just luck. <laughs> well, I, I was just doing what I felt like I needed to do yeah. uh, at the time. And through these properties that you've bought, Jeff, if you were to... You just said before that you've got your current house on the market. Is that now using all of your experiences from before? Are you selling because you have to? Are you selling because the market's increased so much and it makes sense? Are you upsizing? Are you downsizing? Have you still got any more properties before this last one to go through first? Or what in terms of how so, many more places? Yeah, so, live in? yeah. So you've moved back to Harlow now with yeah. Kate and the boys. Yeah. How many other houses have you had? in Harlow before this one that you're in now? Sure. So after Brighton moved back, I rented at first, but then bought literally the house next door to it. So uh -oh. I think that the renting was necessity because yeah. again, same knee jerk, but it was, I'd made my decision. We're moving home uh, is how I put it. And so I needed to rent for a period before I could then buy that property. Had Kate ever lived in Harlow? No, she hadn't. So that was a first for her. And you can imagine that that wasn't easy for her because I, I suppose she would have felt like she had everything she could have possibly wanted. Her partner has moved to where she's from. You know, for whatever reason, obviously it didn't work out. So yeah, she understood that I've got kids and I have to prioritise what's good for them. You know, I definitely had a go and I hope that that was sort of appreciated, I suppose. But next chapter was, right, we're, we're in Harlow. Yeah. Um, so back in Newhall. And as I say, then I'm in 38 to chase and I've bought it. But for whatever reason, I'm looking at it thinking, this isn't where I want to be. Let's get back to, and again, funny, but let, let's get back to the countryside. So I've seen this property come up, which feels perfect. It's certainly bigger than I've ever had. It's more expensive than I've ever had as well. But 
for whatever reason, we were ready for that. And it's funny because throughout the last 20 years, I've always been thinking of garden size because I always wanted and I've had something stuck in my mind, which I believe we've all got when it comes to that transition up the ladder of properties, is that I wanted to have a garden big enough to put a full size goal in <laughs> so that we could play football in the garden. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny, yeah, because when I got it and achieved it, I've realised that the kids didn't want to play football with me anyway. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, so there I was. Anyway, it didn't matter because this property for me, I don't know what the link was, but it felt like I'd arrived. And what did it represent? It just had a really big garden and it had a, a few acres sort of off the back of that of greenbelt sort of land and... It just felt like a, a pat on the back. It was almost like you worked really hard. You've been for a few bits and bobs, like you deserve this. And so the, the property just felt, it felt like I'd landed. And I spent a lot of time actually fixating on the garden and the garden design, strangely. It was just a blank canvas, you know, and, and the soil wasn't particularly good. So it's one of them where whatever you do, it's going to cost. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. I'd had a garden design previously at Canopy Lane by a particular company called Aurelia. And I got them back in because I just thought I'm going to spend a few grand on them sort of coming up with something that makes it feel like they are creating rooms in this big garden. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably about a third of an acre or so. It's still big, doesn't sound big when you say it like that. But so I, I went about, you know, telling her that I wanted an entertainment area and I wanted a place for my little three birth caravan that I wanted to convert into a garden bar. But I also wanted a wildflower meadow that invited the wildlife in and get the bees in because of how important they are. And I wanted it to be colorful. And I also put in a vegetable garden because I'd never grown vegetables before. And now I have the experience of doing it one year and 80% of it managed oh, wow. to, to grow and work out. The tomatoes didn't for some reason, but <laughs> uh, I'll work on that this summer. <laughs> or maybe not because I'm moving. Um, and there's an AstroTurf area with a training rig there. It really is everything, and especially as culminates with lockdown, obviously, when I looked at him thought, I need this space to be for the good of the mental health of my family. Yeah. So we can exercise here, we can relax here, we can entertain here and socialize here. And I can lose myself for hours in this garden. So it's interesting because when I think of this property, I'll always gravitate towards talking about the garden rather than what goes on yeah. inside those four walls. Yeah. yeah, but the garden, and people forget this, the garden, it should be seen as another room. And if it's a big enough garden like yours, maybe three rooms, but it's so, so important. And we were fortunate enough to have a garden during lockdown. And I think that that was our saving grace. Definitely. A lot of people realised during lockdown, actually having outside space is very important for the mental health. It's vital, if anything. So, so many people moved out to the countryside, moved out to the seaside because they realised they needed that space just to breathe, really. Hmm. It's funny perspective as well. Now I feel like I had too much garden. I'm the one who's obviously out there having to pick all the weeds and there's a lot of sort of maintenance involved in what it is. So even when I, I move again, it's not like I'm like, no, I've got to have that garden because that's what I'm accustomed to now. Yeah. Um, I know I can still have all of those elements and I can tie it into a much smaller space. And obviously I've, if I get a house with a garden, if I get a house at all, then that will be an interesting next move. So what is the next step then? Well, I was hoping you can tell me because I'm in no man's land. Right. Hear me out, okay? So the boys are 17 and 18. Mm -hmm. I know that they're at some point, and it might be five, 10 years, there's no time limit on them, but they're going to move out and do their own thing at some stage. So what I don't need to do is completely eliminating going up the ladder and getting more expensive and bigger because I just don't need it. 
I feel like secure enough in myself to not feel like the size of my house validates the, yeah. my success or, you know, who I am as a person. Yeah. So I'm looking for the next move really to suit our needs today. Right. So what are they? I think the boys need to be near a tube station because I'm getting bored of dropping them to, <laughs> to the train station. All the time. Of course, Bob doesn't want to go to the mainline station because that's far more expensive than dropping him to Epping on the central. Line. <laughs> yeah, so I'm having to do the 20 minute one every time. And obviously he doesn't realize how much time that takes out of my day every time he wants to pop into town or go to the gym or whatever else. So I can help myself by moving slightly closer. In terms of the market at the minute, obviously I'm benefiting from selling at what I feel is the top end mm -hmm. to my place I bought for 865. It's on a market for 1.2. That's nice. If it sells for that, obviously, yeah. or even if you know it's 50 grand or even 100 grand less, then actually the prospective buyer might be listening to this and might, <laughs> might be like, oh, Jeff will take 1.2. <laughs> no, no, no. 1.2. No. Do you know what I was really impressed with is the estate agents, they created a video which was almost like them doing your job uh, <laughs> where they where they tried to like present a little, uh, but do you know what? It's amazing. And, and I think they've had something a few hundred thousand views. Really? On, so that is content. I could imagine a lot of other estate agents would be looking at thinking this is the future and we're going to have to start yeah. being comfortable being online, yeah. in front of camera. Don't get me wrong, all those views don't necessarily translate into viewings, but I know we've got a few second viewings coming up soon yeah. and that's, it's all heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, yeah, where I go next, for the first time ever, I'm not fixed to a particular location because the boys are done with school. Don't get me wrong, Freddie's got some lovely jobs with people that really sort of mentor him and jobs that I wouldn't want necessarily him to come out. But that said, you know, a 17 year old, they don't know what they want to do. And mm. one week, he might turn around to me tomorrow and say, I want to go and do something else. And it would probably be in London. Yeah. I think he wants to do barbering. So he's going to have to find somewhere to do an apprenticeship. And he thinks he's found somewhere in Camden. So that's good. Me putting myself and buying somewhere on account of the job that they've got today is probably a bad move. Yes. Um. So what do you do? Do you please yourself as a dad? Because. But what is it that you want? What do you want? What do I want? I want to feel like I've not got a big mortgage hanging around my neck, as it were. I'd necessarily feel financial pressure because of the lovely jobs that I've got and the security that that affords me. But I don't know what's coming next. I feel like I'll probably speak for a few listening to this in that I have an apprehension of where the market goes you know, anytime soon, usually when it gets to the top of, you know, it doesn't feel like it can keep going forever yeah. and it doesn't keep going forever, does it? There's always a bit of a reset. So with that in mind, I feel like I'm being sensible by looking to downsize. So looking at properties, well, I'm not in a position to put any offers down anywhere, but there was somewhere that came up that's not necessarily in a great area, but I'm a golfer. It overlooked a golf course. Okay. Mm. It was a three bedroom new build and someone had just got a little parcel of land, got permission, built three terraced houses, which are still under construction now, but they got snapped up quick. So it wasn't an option in the end, but there were three double bedrooms. I just looked at it. I just thought this adds up for me. It was 425 grand. Yeah. So to go, I was going to buy somewhere that was a third of the value of yep. what I'm actually mm. selling, which yep. is probably not that common unless you've hit upon bad times. Yep. But for me, it was just like, I feel like all I need to really provide the children, and I'm thinking for them first and myself second, I guess, is a base. Yep. Yeah. Somewhere where they can walk to a station and then hopefully it's got a few other features that make it attractive. But as I say, that's sort of off the table. Everywhere I look, you know, I've lived in Newhall a few times as described. Even the prices that these houses are going for, I know they're not worth that. 
I don't feel like I could bring myself to live mm. in one because I think every day I'll just look at it and be like, I really paid over the odds. And again, I understand that if you sell at the top end, you've got to buy at the top end and you've benefited as much as you. So it all evens out anyway, mm. right? But what I keep looking at, <laughs> this is the man, this is first and foremost, I'm not going to live in it, but I've put a deposit down on one of these really cool Danbury Volkswagen camper vans. Because okay, oh. yeah. I do mileage for work, yeah. right? BT Sport, postcode lottery, yeah. I'm on the road for fun. Yeah. I've done 75,000 miles in the last three years. Um, but, and I've got this theory that 20 minutes from everywhere you go is somewhere beautiful. Yeah. And I want to explore that. And I want the boys to come with me or all my friends with me. I think it's a lovely way of just building in everything that we're lacking because of the last couple of years, that connectedness and feeling like you're seeing your mates and, yeah. and having a balance of all things. Anyway, so what I'm looking at from a property wise is I'm looking at these amazing wide beam canal boats and I'm looking at it thinking, could I? Wow. Yeah, it's just an, an odd one because I don't even know how it works with water and stuff like that. Can you have a washing machine? And what happens when you want to have a shower? And I'm sure that there's pretty big water tanks on them and stuff, but it's something you've got to really know that you want to do before you do it. Yeah. I don't know a huge amount about canal boats, houseboats, but where I live in Cheson, we've got the River Lee. And there's a lot of boats on there, actually, where people do live. And anytime I see them, I'll say hi, and they just look so happy. They look like they've got no stress, no worries. I know you're allowed to dock for a certain amount of time, and then you move somewhere else, and you can stay for a certain amount of time. But anytime I've spoken to any of them, they've just said it's the best thing ever because they've got no worries, no stresses. They get to see somewhere different every day or every week or whatever, and they love it. Mm. And that's a great shout, Scarlett. I think that your best bet is to speak to owners. I'm sure that there'll be canal boat clubs homeowner clubs and they'll give you the a real lifestyle advice and guidance i think it's a great way to live but i've never looked into it it's never been something that has really attracted me i'm more into bricks and mortar and i've got certain criteria that i like to meet and a canal boat isn't one of those mm -hmm. but i can't see any reason why it wouldn't work for you you've moved everywhere you've lived in the country you've lived by the sea you've been in like a city and you've been fine so i don't see there's any reason why you couldn't take that step and live on a canal boat some of them are really cool and it's well. not permanent either that's the thing you know you've got up and you've moved before so i guess it is a moment an opportunity where you can try it and if after a year you don't like it you can move on again i'm sure if anybody's listening if you live on a canal boat if you know anything about boats you can let jeff know what it's like but i think it'd be a great idea why not is this Jeff being impulsive? That's what I was about to, I was about <laughs> to ask you that. I was, because you've gone from a three-bedroom terrace new build to a canal boat, and they're totally different on the spectrum. So is it that you're being impulsive? Is it an itch you just want to scratch? Is it something that you're really serious about? I think most people, myself included, the dream is to live mortgage-free. That, that's what most people, and mortgages are the biggest debt that any individual or family will have you're in a position where you're close to being able to do that. I can. There you go. And I think that... Why doesn't that appeal to me? I don't know. Not because... it doesn't appeal, but it's, it's almost like that's not my finishing line. It might be someone else's, like, checkered flag. Yeah. But I don't look it like But that. what is your finishing line? Because that grants you a lot of freedom. And like you say, you travel, you could find a base, and you don't have those 
concerns or those worries, you're mortgage free. And just because you're mortgage free doesn't mean that your property journey will stop there. It just means that for a period of time, this is where you're at. And you know as well as I do that time changes and your outlook on life, the aspects of life that you are concerned about or think about or the boys changes every day. And I think that you're in a great position now where you plan on downsizing, you have a lot of equity, you have freedom of where you live. It's testimony to your hard work that you're in this position. I think that now is the time to not be impulsive. If there's any advice that you want, don't be impulsive. Think clearly about your next move because this is a move that I suppose could transform your life and where you go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I've sat on this for quite a while, to be honest. So here's my reasons, my logic, if you like. So firstly, I have the financial worry of what comes next. I don't have confidence in the market. Mm -hmm. So to not buy a house kind of makes sense from that point of view. And maybe I might be sitting on my boat while house prices are coming down and then might be a great time for me to swoop in and, and be like, right, that's what I'm going to buy out, yeah. right? Or I'm going to buy a few of these. Yeah. So I kind of feel like it would be a good time to do that. Secondly, I think it's just around the fact that the boys are anywhere but home. Uh, and that's the way it's sort of meant to be. They're meant to be here, there and everywhere. So, you know, you can you can put you can put these boats obviously anywhere. You can <laughs> yeah. literally get a mooring in East London, in Stratford somewhere, near the Olympic Village, and just have all of that around you. And then if you've had enough of that, then you can just off you go and you can go up sort of towards Chesant or a little bit further and beyond. So I like the flexibility with it, but again, am I, there's the things that I've gravitated towards in the past is that flexibility and freedom at a time when maybe I don't feel like there is much that maybe this is a bit of a repercussion of the last couple of years and, you know, getting out of a property that I love, but also knowing that financially I benefit from, it's almost like coming out of it with evidence of the fact that I've worked hard and done all right. And it's almost like sort of having all of that in one place and then obviously investing whatever you need to in a canal boat, knowing that I'm sitting there with money in the bank, ready to act when and as these. But also you asked what the checkered flag is. I don't think I've got one because it, it, for me, it's more of a fluid thing mm. right now. I don't really know what we need. The need is to just have a base. And I know that my circumstances are going to change significantly in the next five, 10 years because the boys are going to have their own thing. Now it's difficult for young people to get on the ladder. They're very, very fortunate in that their mum worked tirelessly in order to provide them with an advantage in, in that sense. So they've been catered for. So, you know, they're going to be able to do it at a time when obviously they're ready to do it. So I just figured that there's nowhere that I really feel like I want to buy a house. Right. If I was to go Epping, which is near that last, you know, stop on the central line, you're not buying anything for less than half a million. Yeah. And again, you're paying X amount for something that you don't really feel like even like much. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I'm not attracted to those 800, 900,000 yeah. pound properties. I can't justify it. I can't justify the connection to wanting to live anywhere that bad or wanting to live in any style of property that bad that I've got a clear focus. You've tended to buy new build. You said that even the ones that you looked at recently, there were three new build terrace houses. Have you ever thought about buying something that's older, that needs a bit of work that you could put your old stamp on? Are you afraid or adverse of like renovations and refurbishments? Because I love doing that. I'm not one to buy new builds because I think that somebody else has put their style on the house and I'm paying 
for their endeavor that I'm probably going to change anyway. So would you invest in a property that does need some TLC, does need a bit of work, and then make money that way? No, I'm not adverse to it. Now is the time that I would do that. I've never been attracted to doing it because I'm not someone who has that creativity, I don't think, or the practical skills required to really do much of the work yourself. So I'd be purely reliant on a builder. So now is the time that I would do it because I think it would provide me with some justification to go and live on a canal boat for six months <laughs> yeah. and, not, and not feel like a crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. This is the thing for me. Stuart and I don't agree all the time. And I know Stuart is very set on being somewhere grounded, bricks and mortar. I'm all for the boat. I really am because I think life's too short and it's clearly something that's niggling at you. So why not go for it? You will hopefully sell your property for offers in excess of 1.2 million. And then you'll have a good amount of money there that will keep you secure whilst you've got your boat to potentially do some renovations on the side to maybe get somewhere for the boys if you need to. I know they've got somewhere anyway, but to maybe help them when they do decide they want to move on. This is the perfect time to do that and to explore something that you've never explored before and just see what happens. You're not going to lose. That's the thing. You're really not going to lose. From what I remember, boats aren't like cars where you drive a car off a forecourt and instantly it's depreciated in price. I think that boats ho hold their prices quite well and I should clarify that and I should definitely double check. But what I remember reading up when I did research on it, but why not go for it? What have you got to lose? I don't think they can build these canal boats quick enough at the minute because of the heightened interest in them. They're more expensive than you think. I suppose this is the next conversation is whilst, yeah, it's great that I can have that doer upper that is being built. Maybe it's a, how, how long does it take to do these sort of projects? It, it, it depends. 12 months? It, it, well, it depends what you're doing. If, you, if you're going to get planning permission, that could take a while depending on the council. If you're doing a single story extension that's, that's got permitted development, then you're fine. If you have to wait, then it could be longer. Yeah. If you're knocking down that house and putting a whole new like structure on it, then... If builders the, the, take ages. Yeah. So it, it all depends. How you're waiting for builders' availability as well. Builders' availability. Mm. And at the moment, materials at the moment are, are hard to come by. They're very expensive right now. So it all depends on the size of your project. Yeah, um, it wouldn't be massive because, again, I'm not buying a big, massive house. It would need to be somewhere it's close to a tube and it's in a bit of a state of disrepair. It wouldn't really matter what condition the property is in at all. So absolutely, I can do that. So I'll have a mortgage on that place, you know, however I'm going to do it. Then really, you can apply the same questions that you've been asking me to this canal boat in that you can buy one and completely gut it and do it as a doer-upper. I would probably need something that's ready when we're ready. Otherwise, then you've got this period of needing to rent and that yeah. kind of defeats the object Dead of money. What, what I'm thinking about doing. Yeah. Or you can just buy one that's literally sort of straight off the peg, as it were, from one of these you know, boat builders that I think you've probably never looked at them at all, like the interior of these places. I walked on one the other day. Uh, they call it the Hoxton. Also, you should check this out. It's called the Boathouse London. It's in Paddington Basin and they Airbnb it's like a, oh, okay. a floating hotel mm. and I can only imagine that it does incredibly well yeah. um, and when you look at the interior of it actually that's the Hoxton and it uh, is cool as you like okay. um, and you can... how much are they Jeff I, this sounds very <laughs> expensive yeah do you know what I think they fluctuate between 150 and 200 grand for the really big ones that are about 65 foot long 12 foot wide and they are big enough to live in uh, without a doubt, as that's the purpose of them. But, you know, what I wish I was is that person that could say, I'm going to buy one for 40 grand, I'm going to completely gut it out, and I'm going to, you know, pull it all in. I would love to do that project. 
I've never been fascinated in what you've been fascinating in terms of houses, yeah. but doing up like old vehicles that are not necessarily intended to be, you know, mobile homes. And obviously that spans not just cars, but also boats and, and whatever else. I love that. They're my favorite programs to watch. Yeah. And I love what people can do with their creativity and their patience and their time. And they're my favorite accounts on Instagram to follow is the people that have gone on the road with young children and just like shown them a different lifestyle that kids nowadays glued to their devices are just mm -hmm. not aware of. I think just like an amazing thing for parents to do. So yeah, <laughs> I'm invested. You can tell like I've been. Yeah, you're so passionate about it. So I think it's something that you should definitely explore some more. I think that has to be the next episode houseboats it has to be <laughs> yeah, like Jeff, you can lead it that's the perfect ending of this episode to talk about houseboats on the next show there's a lot of people living very happily as you said mm. and you're right anyone that i've spoken to and i've been on a couple and i speak to the owners of them and they all just look really relaxed and happy yeah that's that let Perfect. us know what you decide to do jeff i'm very intrigued and if you do buy one i want to be at the housewarming the, the boat, boat warming, warming. <laughs> <laughs> jeff it's been an absolute pleasure Thank you so much for joining us. I've learned a bit today about houseboats for sure. I hope you do get offers in excess of your asking price. I have no doubt that that will happen. Yeah, and when you get the houseboat, please, we have to be invited. We want to we come over and have a drink. Yeah, it'd be my absolute pleasure to have you both there. This felt like therapy a little bit today, guys. Thank yeah. you. I've never really thought about sort of talking about my property journey over the last 20 years. But mm. yeah, it's quite cathartic, strangely. Yeah. And I'm not put off by my little boat ideas. Good. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jeff. I love listening to Jeff's stories about his first house all the way to whether he gets the canal boat or not. It's been brilliant. Anyway, I've been Scarlett Douglas. I've been Stuart Douglas. And it's been an absolute delight. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>